one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our series in the Old Testament today, clearly talking about the book of Numbers. Um, if you got cell phones, please make sure that those are on vibrate or silent. I know many of you like to take notes on that. That's great. We're very excited that you know how to use one of those. We're really excited to see that you use it entirely correctly. Um, and then also, if you got kids in here, that's fantastic. We are so excited that you've got kids in here with you. Uh, but just make sure if your kids start to get noisy or squawky, uh, t- take them out in the lobby or take them out in the kids' uh, classrooms or anything like that, because it sucks when other people have to parent your kids. So you take care of them, and nobody else will have to. Exodus chapter 14, uh, verse 11 and 12, we're going to read. And, and I want to um, give a little pre- preface today, uh, because up until Thursday of this week, I was preparing to teach on the book of Exodus, the story of the 10 plagues, of God's supernatural deliverance of his people from oppression and slavery in Egypt. And, and then I just, I just felt this thing, and in, in, um, I just felt like God was telling me to change my plan. Uh, I'm not opposed to changing my plan, but I don't want to. And uh, it takes a lot, because I prepare way out far in advance, you know, months and months in advance. It, t- it takes a lot for me to feel like I, I need to, to adjust what I have prepared. And, and that's how I feel like I feel today. I, I feel like God wants us to talk about something different than what I have planned. And I trust that he knows you and what you need better than I do. And so, so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to talk about uh, some of the events in the book of Numbers. And and the reason I'm, I'm pointing this out is because I think that for the people here in this room today and the people watching online and catching on Facebook, whatever, that, that, that clearly if, if, if the Lord speaks and if he speaks to me and if he speaks to me about today, he's talking about you. He's not talking about the general community of West Winds. You, you don't get the Holy Ghost hip check for just some random guy at some time. No, no, I mean, it's, it's specifically for the people in this room and watching online right now. So I, I want you to pay attention um, because I think, I think this, this is for you. However it all shakes out, th- this is something that I believe the Lord wants you to hear. Now, to catch you up to speed, in the earliest chapters of our Bible, we, we have all these what we call prehistorical tales about the creation of the universe and all the first rebellion. And, and then from those, after those first 11 chapters of Genesis, we start talking about the people of God. God's promise to a man named Abraham, the, the partnership that God enters into with Abraham and Abraham's children and their children and so on and so forth. And as, and as Abraham's descendants continue to multiply, they eventually migrate and, and, and settle in Egypt where they become so numerous, the Egyptians get, get concerned about how many of them there are, and they make them slaves. And for 400 years, God's people are forced to do somebody else's work at somebody else's beck and call so that somebody else earns all of the rewards and all of the benefits from their labor. And, and that stinks. So they call out to God. They ask God for a savior, for a deliverer, and God gives them Moses. Remember the Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston? I don't, but everyone always seems to think it's appropriate to ask that question. So for those of you who are 100, do you remember that movie? Back when they had talkies, I think they were called. And then also, maybe you remember the Prince of Egypt, the Disney movie. Maybe you just have heard this story in Sunday school or, or where but it's a story about how God raises up Moses, and through a series of supernatural confrontations, Moses finally takes God's people out of Egyptian slavery and captivity, and, and they begin to make their way through the wilderness. Now, almost immediately, there are rumors that begin that Pharaoh doesn't like what has happened to his slave army and is going to chase them down with his actual military army. And, and you can imagine for these people who are escaping on foot, that they're a little nervous about the fact that trained soldiers are coming to kill them. And they freak out and they complain to Moses. And this is what they say. Right after 
They've been supernaturally delivered by God. They, they look at Moses and say, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? That is the most sarcastic sentence in the entire Bible. Is it because they've run out of room to bury us there that you've taken us out here so we can die in humiliation? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said when we were there? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve them there than die here. Again and again and again, we see God's people complain after they've been set free. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, but it's not, it's not just complaining, you see. There's more to it than that. The, the, the biblical term here isn't complain. It's a, it's a Hebrew word. The word is loon. And, and it means, well, it's got a funny meaning. It means to lay down. So, so the people of God, they don't complain to Moses. Why did you take us out of Egypt? The people of God lay down asking, why did you take us out of Egypt? And I wonder if sometimes you and I don't lay down in our complaints. Like, I wonder if there are times where, where we remember the things that other people have done to us and kind of lay down in it. We sit in it. We squat. We, we, we actually, the, the, the verb is also, or the word is also translated that you, you make camp. You ever know somebody to, to camp out on an old injury or an old wound? Almost like they, they've built a little shrine to it in their heart. Oh, that's my ex. Yep, 37 and a half years ago, he broke my heart, and I hope he gets, you know, whatever and dies. And you're like, well, maybe you could move on. Maybe you could let that go. And we laugh, but the truth is, there's always somebody that did something to us. There's always something that hurt us, some disappointment we had. First time you lost your paper route, first time you got cut from the football team, first time your new car broke down. I mean, there's always a thing, right? And, and what I think the Lord wants to address today in us, how, however we can, is this idea that, that there's some stuff we, we got to let go of. We got to move past it. Because as this video did such a nice job of illustrating, some journeys are really only two-week journeys. The journey of your emotional healing but might only be a two-week journey. But because of the murmuring, because you've decided to camp out in it, that, that journey might take you four decades. Can you imagine being this miserable for four decades when you got the option of being liberated from it in two weeks? I mean, what would it feel like for you to get past your divorce before June? What would it be like for you to forgive your father, your mom, your old boss, like before the next holiday? And one of the things that fascinates me as I read the Bible again and again and again is to learn that, that there's, no, there's no Hebrew word, there's no Aramaic word, there's no Greek word for, 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 for tragedy. Pardon me, there is a Greek word, but in, in the Old Testament, there's no word for tragedy. Now, you know what tragedy is, right? It's when everything's fine, and then all of a sudden something happens unexpectedly, it takes you out at the knees, you're bewildered by it, and, and you're left devastated. Well, you'd think that the Bible would have all kinds of words for that in the Old Testament but there aren't. 
And maybe the reason is because almost all of the stories in the Old Testament start out in a bad place. Like Exodus starts with the people enslaved. Numbers starts with the people wandering around doing nothing. Deuteronomy starts with a sense of confusion and a lack of identity. And then in all of those stories and many others besides, there's a transformation that occurs where God brings good out of the bad. So we begin enslaved, but we end as free people. And we begin wandering, and we end back home in the land of promise. And we begin not really knowing who we are, and then by the time God's done with us, we have a mission and a purpose and an identity. Again and again and again, the Bible tells us little stories of hope. Just like it tells us this huge story of hope. But we miss out on that hope sometimes because we are so rooted, squatted, nested, buried in our malcontent. And we just got to let that go, man. Now, again, 19 times in Exodus and Numbers, the people of God murmur, they complain. And they complain about a variety of things, but we're going to highlight four because I think those are the four that, that maybe relate to you and I the best. They complain about what they don't like, what they don't have, who they don't trust, and what they don't believe. This sounds an awful lot like my life. Now, God sets them free from Egyptian captivity. They, they, they run away from Pharaoh's army. They come to the banks of the Red Sea. God opens up the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea. They walk through the sea on dry land. The sea comes crashing down behind them, drowning Pharaoh's army, saving God's people. They go out. They're, they're, they're free, and they need a drink. So they stop, and they get water, and they don't like the way the water tastes, so they complain. Complaining about your freedom is the least American thing in the history of the universe. We read this story, we go, you're free. Why can't you just enjoy it? If you can't enjoy your free, oh, that's so sad. That's like somewhere a bald eagle dies every time you complain <laughs> about. <laughs> they complain about the taste of their water. After all the Lord has brought them through, after all that God has done on their behalf, miracle after miracle after miracle, I mean, supernatural miracle, signs, one, all this crazy stuff. And they, they just can't enjoy it because they're murmuring. And there's always going to be stuff in your life that you don't like. Shut up about it. I mean, it doesn't help. It doesn't help you feel better to complain. I never had anybody just unload on me and then at the end go, ha, I feel really great right now. Thanks, guy. No, at the end, they, they just hate themselves more, and I hate them. <laughs> Complaint only creates more complaining. And it doesn't help the situation at all either. It's not like you complain and then all of a sudden the water doesn't taste bad. No. To those of you who are malcontents, the waters of freedom will always be bitter. <laughs> I haven't said that today. That's really funny. I enjoy it. No, you just go, I mean, now it's easy for us to stand in judgment over them, but the truth is you've been set free. 
Jesus has given you a future, a hope. He set you free from your old behaviors, your, your old patterns, the, the powers, the things that used to enshackle you, to keep you small, to keep you scared. He set you free from all of that, but you can't enjoy your freedom because you're focused on the stuff you don't like. Maybe you're focused on what you don't like about your house. Maybe you're focused on what you don't like about your, 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 your boyfriend. But the more you keep focusing on, on the stuff you hate, the, the bigger it grows, the more significant it becomes. And you can't experience the freedom that God gave you. That freedom is wasted on you. You are enslaving yourself. It's funny, this often will come up in church, you know, people will go to church and they'll think, oh, I, I really like that church, that's just great, it's, you know. And then they'll, they'll find something they don't like about church and they'll fixate on it. Once upon a time, the, for, for churches in North America, that really used to be music. I mean, maybe 20 years ago or something, they, we, they used to call them the worship wars. And people would, would sort of go church shopping, they called it. And they would pick the church with the, the music that was most suited to their preferences, you know, like you were picking a radio station. And I get it. I mean, you ought to find a church that you like. I, sure, I, I get it. But it just, it just seems weird that the determining factor for whether or not I will give glory to the God who saved my soul and redeemed my family, gave me a future and a promise and a hope is whether or not they have tambourine. Like that just seems <laughs> sort of beside the point, you know? And the truth is when we focus on these little things, the taste of the water, the taste of the music, the taste or the flavor of somebody's personality, our neighbors, our countertops, our parking spot, we just miss out on why we were made in the free in the first place. And then, of course, they focus not only on what they don't like, but they also focus on what they don't have. They go out, they're free, free from captivity, free from oppression, free from slavery, free from debt, free from death. And they get hungry. So they complain that they don't have any food. And God sends them bread from heaven, the bread of the angels called manna. Now, we're not sure exactly what manna is. It sort of seems like edible dew. You know what the word manna means, anybody? It means, what's this? That's why you had the little joke in the video where they're saying, yeah, and then God supplies manna. What is that stuff? Well, I don't know. He, he, he. It's a dad joke for the very first time there on video. Yeah, so, so he, he gives them lit literally food from heaven. And they don't like it. They complain about it. So then he sends them a whole huge flock of quail so that they can have fresh meat. Eventually they complain about that too. They get thirsty, so he gives them water. Again, supplying water out of rocks two times. I don't know if you've ever hit a rock, but normally it doesn't shoot out water when you do. So they get all this stuff and they still focus on what they don't have instead of being able to appreciate they got everything they need. Oh, this, this hits a little close to home, right? Most of us are focused on what we don't have. We don't have the house that we want. So we just think, well, maybe if I save my money, I get the nicer house, or I'll be able to put in the new things, or put in that expansion, and then I'm gonna really feel like we can, we can, we can be a family here. No, you won't. You're gonna hate the new house like you hate this one because you have taught yourself how not to love the things that are yours. 
oh man, you know what I really need? I need a, I need a person. I need just, just one person who's like, you know, they're, like, they're my person. You know, I can, I can take, I don't have to pretend with them. I can just, I can just tell them everything. I can just, all my, all my stuff, all my, you can't just find one person like that. You're too crazy. You got to spread that nonsense out. I mean, you got to just, you need 57 people to, well, there's no magic person that can absorb all your nonsense. And while you're doing that, while you're, while you're disdaining the wife God gave you, because she can't handle you, while you're refusing to honor the friends God gave you, because they're the ones telling you, hey, dude, you know, knock it off, right? Like, just, we don't want to listen to you complain all the time. While you're disparaging all the people God has given you in favor of some fantasy person, some magic counselor, guru, papa, you know, lottery card guy. I mean, you, you can't appreciate what you have because you're so focused on what you lack. What you lack is contentment. So they complain, I mean, they murmur about what they don't like, about what they don't have, and they, they murmur because they can't trust their leaders. Oh, we don't know anything about that. But think about the relationship Moses has with God. Moses goes up to a mountain, he speaks with God as though face to face. He has a closer relationship with God than anybody before him or anybody after him with the possible exception of Jesus Christ. Maybe Jesus was cheating. Who knows, you know. But the, the, the point is that Moses knows God. And still when he comes down, they, they question him. They don't trust him. They don't trust the words of God. They don't trust the experience of God. They don't trust the presence of God. Oh, man, that, that's us. That's, that's Christian people stuff. We don't trust the word of God. We don't trust the presence of God. We don't trust the spirit of God. I mean, not, not really. Not like we should. At some point, God is going to be speaking to you. And you've got to learn how to trust him. That's not him. Don't worry. <laughs> you're you're going to hear, you're, you're, you're going to feel something, uh, 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 an impulse, an intuition to do something, to reach out to someone, to check on somebody, to love somebody, to give an affirmation or an encouragement to somebody. That's God's Holy Spirit working through you. And you're going to feel weird about it. You're going to be like, I don't know if this is really God. Every Christian person will ask themselves at some point if this is really God. That's an important question for you to ask. But you got to trust it. So you're going to feel this, this impulse that, oh man, maybe I should just check in on, you know, my friend Bill. Send him a text message. Hey, hey bro, just think about you. Why don't you know you, you got a friend in Jackson, Michigan. You're going to feel this impulse. I'm, I'm, you know what? I, th I think I should bring coffee to my buddy today. And when you follow through on those impulses, when you, when you trust the Spirit in little ways like this, or, or maybe even in bigger ways, you realize God is working through you. And the fruit of Him working through you, and the fruit of you seeing, the results of you, you recognizing and authenticating that He's working through you is, is, is blessing, it's friendship, it's healing, it's love, it's friendship, it's, it's, it's laughter. But most of the time, we don't trust it. And so we just don't do anything because we're afraid, what, that, that people are going to think we're nutty? I got news for you, bro. You, you're weird already. I mean, you might as well be weird and holy. 
Oh, you, we have to learn how to trust what God is saying to us. But the, the problem, of course, is that we all, have, we all have these little memories of times where we did that and it didn't work out. And we, we murmur about those memories. We, we sit on those memories. We camp out on those memories. Oh, I remember the Lord told me to tell somebody I was praying for them, and then they got mad at me for it. All right. I guess you could camp out on that for a little while. Well, I remember this time, I thought God was telling me I, I should give money, so I, I, mean, I gave a lot of money. And then, lo and behold, I didn't have enough. Okay. How, how long do you want to camp out on that for? What? You know, I thought I should get into a Bible study, and so I joined a Bible study, and then all the people in the Bible study were, well, I didn't like them very much. Okay. You want to uh, just set up your tent here then? See, we all have these little memories of times where we did the thing that we thought God was telling us to do. We did it. We did it one time, and it didn't work out exactly the way we wanted to, so now we, now we, got, a, now we got a thing. We got an excuse. We can sit on that excuse. We can camp on that excuse. We can go to bed thinking about that excuse. We can wake up thinking about that excuse, and we never have to trust God again because it was hard. Brother, move on. Shut up, get up, and move on. Because the more you focus on this thing that you don't like, this thing that you don't have, this thing that makes you can't try, the more you focus on all that stuff, the more you're just sitting there. You're not going anywhere. You're dead. We make it hard for ourselves. They, they don't like, they don't have, they don't trust, and they, they don't believe. Now, here's the thing. It's hard to be a believer. It's not a, a feeling. No, it's an act of will. But when you're focused on what you, you don't have, you can't focus on what you do have, which is the fact that you have freedom. Jesus Christ has set you free. He intends that you would enjoy life and life abundantly. Life enamored, empowered by his spirit. Equipped, anointed, with a, with a sense of purpose and mission and a future to cooperate with God and heal the world. That's what he intends for you. And most Christian people have no idea what to do with their freedom. Now, maybe it's because a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, their daddy or their granddaddy or whoever gave his life to Jesus. And when that happened, man, he got set free. He was liberated from drugs, alcohol, addiction, whatever. He knew what freedom was like, but then he had kids and his kids had kids. And two, three, ten generations later, you got a bunch of horrible Christian people who only know how to follow a religion. You got these unfree, shackled, dead Christians who are making unfree, shackled, dead decisions about how their unfree, shackled, dead denominations and musicians should do things. You don't know what to do with your freedom. And you got to find out. You got to find out by focusing on that freedom, enjoying it sharing it, expanding it. 
And you don't just have freedom, you have provision. If God is going to give them food and water supernaturally, how much more is he going to feed and water your soul? You are going to be nourished by God's word. You're going to be nourished by God's spirit, by God's church. You just got to focus on what God is trying to give you so you can digest it. And you think you're all dried up and there's nothing good in you and you don't know if you can love again. The Lord's going, well, if you stop complaining for five seconds, I feed you. You got freedom. You got provision. You got guidance. Because God's Holy Spirit is alive and working in you, leading you in the way that you should go, helping you navigate between left, right, good, bad, up, down, right, wrong. He's showing you how to go because he has ordered your steps. And you just got to learn to pay attention to what the Spirit of God is saying to you because he's talking to you now about the decisions and the relationships and the circumstances of your life and how to make them better. And all that, we recognize that God has a promise for us. A promise to bless us and not to hurt us, to heal us and not to diminish us. And he gives us his strength because we're not strong enough to do all this on our own. We pout and quit and want to sit down and camp out in our old injuries. But it's the Lord who lifts us up. So that's my prayer for you, man. For me, for everybody. That, that's what I think God has laid on my heart for us today. Is that we would understand this thing we're going through whatever season of difficulty, whatever relational fracture, whatever financial woes, this thing, recovering from this thing, it can take four decades or it can take a couple of weeks. And the difference is on whether or not we are willing to focus on the freedom, the provision, the guidance, the promise, and the strength of God that he is pouring out on you radically and abundantly, energetically, or whether or not we're going to focus on the things we don't like and the things that we don't have and the people we can't trust and the stuff we don't believe. So you can sit in all that nonsense for as long as you want, or today can be your day to just let it go. Let it go. That broken heart, man, just let it go. That old wound, that betrayal, let it go. What your daddy did to you when you were three years old, let it go. Let it go. Impress aggressively into all that God intends for you to enjoy. Amen? Amen? Lord, thank you for your word and the power of your word and your spirit to change us. And we, we need that. We don't have it all figured out. There's all kinds of stuff we're still trying to navigate. And, and we trust, Lord, that you will help us with that. And we submit to your spirit. We want to hear from you. We want to hear you. And we want to do all that you require so that we can enjoy all you intend. And we want to be your people. So help us, Lord, to do just that. These things we pray in your name. Amen.